0: Nigel Beckles, guesting on The Real Talk Show, hosted by George Boley Jr. and Davern Fraser.
1: Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now.
2: Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices.
1: Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong
2: reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life.
1: Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available.
0: Nigel Beckles, guesting on The Real Talk Show. Hosted by George Bowley Jr. and Davin Fraser. Hey, this is George. Hey, this is Fray. Welcome to Real Talk. We have a guest Dear and near to my heart, any type of book author, people writing books, you know I definitely appreciate them. Oh yeah so Mr. Nigel Beckles. Oh, yeah. Anyway, here we are, our guest for today. Enough sports oh, talk. Yeah. Let's get to book talk.
1: It's, Mr. Dope, Nigel. it's dope. How you doing, brother? How you
0: doing? Welcome to Real Talk. Oh, your your microphone is muted. We can't hear you.
2: You can hear me now. Oh yes, now. Sir, you we can. Can. <laughs> yeah. It's quite funny actually. I've been podcasting for a about a year, and I have now acquired more American friends than I have British friends. So I've, <laughs> so I've picked up a lot of Americanisms. Like, uh, stay, your, stay, stay in your lane. I like that one. Uh, kick, kick rocks. I like that one. Anyway, yeah, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Oh, Definitely man. appreciate I like it. Like that. it. That.
0: Sir, so tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background for the fans that are listening.
2: Oh, gosh. How long you've got? Okay um i'm an author my first book how to avoid making the big relationship mistakes came out in 2015 that's published on amazon just finished my second book how to avoid abusive relationships will be published this year i'm a contributor to the award-winning movie documentary looking for love uh i'm an advocate for victims and uh, survivors of domestic abuse i'm a certified relationship relationship coach mm, Yeah, that's that's a, that's that's my short resume nice. nice. <laughs> it's a big resume you know and that's me just, and I, I, Ray, I, yeah. I, can, I can keep it rolling brother but oh, we're limited
0: oh, on it, no, time it, yes uh, we're limited not, on uh, time uh, but as you're rolling phrase knows i'm thinking about questions and i have my
1: questions i got a
0: list really. of questions because honestly on our show we have had A lot of coaches we've had some authors and we've had a lot of uh people come on the show that are dealing with domestic violence Mm. women's support coaching self-help and we've had a few relationship coaches but we've had them on the on the um the good side we've had we've had them on the good side of it so on the topics of getting a girlfriend so forth Mm. and so on Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. yeah well at the end of the day that was really what my first book was focused on oh let me get a copy here that's a that's a copy of my first book. So my first book. Whoops. Yeah, that's better. There
1: we go. So uh, oh,
2: yeah. So that's my first book. So that's four hundred pages. Took me five years of research before I published it. And my second book I've just finished. That's taken me five years. But yeah, as you say, um, everybody—not well, everybody. I don't like to generalize, generalize. Let me rephrase. Many people obviously want to be in a relationship if they're single, looking for love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fine. And uh, yeah, the, the good—the good side. As as as, as 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 um George says, but uh but there's also a dark side. Yes, and the problem that um many many people don't seem to grasp is that it's easy to get into a relationship. Yes, if it turns into a nightmare, it's not that easy to get out of it. Yes, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I I wrote the second book. Uh, saying that though, I've been interested in domestic abuse and relationship abuse for a long time because I grew up in a home where I witnessed domestic violence. So partly that's kind of like my motivation. I'm all about raising awareness. But nine years ago, i started, um, I've got a couple of groups on Facebook. So say like, yeah, almost 10 years ago now, I started a, a group for victims and survivors uh-huh. on Facebook. Yeah, it's called Reflections on Abusive Relationships. So that group now has 21,000 plus members. So I'm reading about the issue of domestic abuse and relationship abuse every day. Uh-huh. I mean, not only is the group there, but obviously I belong to other groups. Right. Because I'm an advocate. So obviously I need to keep up to date with what's happening. And, you know, so, yeah. And it, and some of the cases are very sad. And, you, well, for me, because I'm quite empathic. So you have to learn how to detach yourself from some of these stories. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so, so some of these stories are very very sad I mean last week um over here in the UK we've got a, a series called uh, 24 hours in custody mm-hmm. and it was quite a quite an interesting quite an interesting episode because you don't really hear a lot about men suffering domestic abuse mm-hmm. or men suffering domestic violence and that particular episode which was last week uh, this poor guy um he had a, a, a abusive partner she attacked him. Um, To the extent she gave him brain damage, Mm -hmm. Um, he went to a hospital, obviously. And a few days later, he died. And she got a very light sentence. I think she got something like six, six, because they couldn't prove she actually caused injuries. But obviously, she she done it. But but she got like 16 16 months. So for us over here, I know your system over there is different. Yeah. So if you get 16 months here, you could be out in half that time. Right, right with good behavior yeah so it was sad and that was only last week so that's not really something men who suffer abuse is not something that's really uh discussed and then men who suffer abuse it's a it's not usually it's not usually physical it's emotional yeah emotional yeah. emotional yeah. psychological mental so yeah. so no, there knows there's no evidence again there's no scars um the other problem we have for guys unfortunately is that often they're not believed yes true they're not believed i've i've when i was doing the research for for my second book um i've read stories where you know guys have they've been abused been physically abused they've gone to the police and the police have said again going back to an americanism the yep. police have said yeah well man up yes exactly suck it up <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you know
2: so again which which is um which is unfortunate because every, you know regardless of your gender no one deserves to be abused but then we have a society problem because society at large will deem that you know men cannot be abused.
0: Right, that's true. You're right. Well, how do you how do
2: you how do you create the awareness? You
0: being an advocate, I know mm-hmm. that it's we're being raised. You know, I'm blessed to have a son and a daughter, mm-hmm. and I have looked at I have looked at them physically, emotionally, and spiritually different. Like um, it was my wife that helped me become aware that as my son was growing up, I should let him express his emotion and not suppress him the way my father taught me to do it. On the other end, I also want him to realize that he's a young black man in America. So he's going to have to develop some um, iron skin, skin thickness for some of the things that he's going to go through in this life here. Um, My daughter on the other end, she has a strong will, she has a strong personality, um, but I'm kind of gearing her in a different way. Now, my job is just basically to say, I love you, you know, go do what you can do to be the best young woman that you can be in this world. I actually do not do any of the disciplining or the um, I'm coaching or teaching to my daughter because I'm not uh, a, a woman. So I leave all of that to my wife because she knows what she's going through, you know, from the time she wakes up to the time yeah. she goes to bed and vice versa. My wife leaves all of that, my son's stuff, because I know what he's going through from the time he came out the womb to where he is now. Like there's nothing that he can do that I didn't think of. I mean, he acts so much like me and looks just like me. That's why I named him George because he can't get past (laughs) anything that happens. That look on his face, I know what he did it before he said it. When he looks down and starts stammering, yeah, I used to do that to my father too. So I catch him in almost everything because we even have the same temperament. True story, when he was like one or two years old, we used to stand in the kitchen and argue like adults. Because he'd be looking at me, I'd be looking at him, and we'd be just going at him, looking up at me like he's grown. And I said, look, you can't do that because, you know, you don't have any life experience to talk like that. You see what I mean? I got that because I'm your father, but he has my temperament. You see what I mean? So it's yeah. I understand it fully. I'm saying that to say, how do we break that pattern? Because, like you said, men are not believed, but believe it or not, I even saw a number, I forgot where I saw the number, that almost 40, 40? of men have been abused in some form or fashion, whether it's physical, emotionally, a verbal abuse, psychological abuse. And that number shocked me because um, my father was a workaholic and he did it to push me. You don't complete things. Uh, You're never gonna do this if you don't do that. You're never gonna be this if you don't be that. And I saw that as challenges for me. So when I got my black belt, you know, because he told me, I don't complete things. I gave him my black belt that, you know, um, you know. he said, because I was never gonna do something when I got a master's you know, because he's a doctorate in education. So I did all these things, not just to prove to myself, but to prove to him that he was wrong. Um, how, how do we get there? How do we push the conversation forward? And how do we address what we're seeing just as men? Well, you've
2: given quite a lot there to unpack. Uh, there's, a, there's a word you use there which is very um, prevalent and relevant, which is suppress. Because when I do the research, what I look at is one of the things I look at in terms of guys is generally the suicide rate for men is two-thirds plus higher than it is for women. Now, Mm -hmm. that's across the board. That's not just here in the UK. That's the US worldwide. Two-thirds higher plus. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes for me, well, why? Why, why are guys killing themselves at a higher rate? So, when again, when you do the research, you discover that more women attempt suicide, but more guys actually succeed. So, right. when a guy says he's checking out, he's checking out. He's not joking. Sadly, I've, I had a friend of mine, old-school friend of mine, um, grew up with him, white guy. Um, I didn't know what he was going through in terms of his life. And uh, he just went to a car park. One day, one Sunday, just went to the car park, went up to the top floor, just stepped off. So when you take it, when you decide you're, you're, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. If you decide to go and step off a car park roof, you can't change your mind halfway down. Right. Obviously. Exactly. You, take an, you take an overdose, well, someone might find you or you might wake up. But going back to your suppression um, comment, yeah, as guys generally, as boys, we are taught to suppress our emotions generally regardless of race, right. regardless yeah. of culture. We are, we are taught generally as boys to suppress our feelings, unless it's su- something like ang- anger. So if little Johnny, you're little, your little George and little Johnny, you're playing with steals your toy. Well, your father may say, well, it's appropriate to show anger and go and beat up Johnny and get your toy back. Right. <laughs> Basically. But in terms of sensitivity, in terms of showing emotion, that is often for boys, sadly, um, frowned upon it's not encouraged right going yeah. back to what jules said about his, his daughter yeah well women tend to have a more natural na- networking kind of networking right. vibe anyway you know they'll go and talk to their friends and not feel feel embarrassed about it for guys there's something called guy talk so guy talk is a thing um or guy code so many guys they will talk about uh they'll talk about sports as you guys were doing earlier yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they'll talk about sports They'll, uh, you know, talk about cars. They'll talk about what's going on at work. They'll talk about most anything except their emotions and how they are feeling. And the reason a lot of guys do that is because they don't want to be judged by their peers. They don't want to be judged by their friends. They don't want to be seen as being weak. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yeah. So they they hide it. So they they hide what they really feel because they don't want to get judged. For some guys, sadly, it bottles up to an extent where they, they can't handle it. Because right. those emotions, whether those emotions are positive or negative, they have to go somewhere.
0: Right.
2: You mentioned, uh, George, you mentioned the martial arts. I used to do martial arts. But that was, again, that was a subconscious reaction to domestic, to me witnessing domestic violence as a child and having the urge to protect my mother. Right. But I didn't realize that subconscious urge until I became an adult. I started martial arts when I was 11. mm mm-hmm. You know, but that was the but that was my my drive was to protect my mum. Now I didn't understand that, obviously being that age. I started when I became an adult and I thought, oh well, actually, Nigel, yeah, I, I started martial arts to protect my mother. And I tell you, so I was a demon. I would I train every day, all day, if right. if I had a chance. Right. Bruce Lee was my hero. That's anything right. Bruce, anything yeah, Bruce Lee oh, yeah. could do, I wanted to do. I That's wanted right. to be able to see it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but it's sad for it's sad for um going back to guys. Yeah, it's um it's not as easy because well I suppose we have this saying here in an old British saying, you know, stiff up a lip, old chap. Right. You know, one, <laughs> one must just one must just bear you just bear the bear the pain exactly, and not showing the uh, showing the emotions. But a lot of guys are not handling that well, and it's not just older guys. What well, I say, older, like, in the sense that. I have have a friend I used to work with, a colleague, um, her son committed suicide and he was 26. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this was like, again, several years ago. And I went to the funeral. I thought, well, he had his own flat. He had a degree. Mm -hmm. He had a job, you know, he spoke to his mother every day. And yet she had zero clue. He was going to, he was going to do that. That's why it came as such a big shock. So when that happened, I started to read up on, on, um, suicide generally. And, um, yeah, there's something called a silent epidemic. So there are young men between 15 and 24, 25, who are taking their lives at an alarming rate. Then at the other end of the scale, you've got guys who are 45, 50, maybe hitting midlife crisis, etc. Yeah, They're taking their lives, you know, uh, as well.
0: Right.
2: I think it's a little bit more... doesn't um, I mean, it's sad if anyone takes their life, but if it's a young person, because you, you just kind of see all that up. Well, not wasted potential... It's just, it just seems a little bit sadder for me, put it like that. If it's a young, I mean, it's sad if anyone takes their life, but if it's a young man or a young woman for that matter. Exactly. By the way, enough from me. I wanted to ask you guys the question as you're over in the pond and you've got oh, sure. me, um, you've got me over, got me on there. What are your views on the Derek Jackson recent revelations, shall I say? You know who Derek, Derek Jackson is, I assume. No. You don't know yeah. who Derek Jackson is? Come on now, um, no. Oh, no. no. You don't know who Derek Jackson is? No. He's, a, you know. he's a, a black man. Okay. Um, he's an American. Okay. He's been all over the news in the last, mm, say, two weeks ago. He's been all over the news. Uh, he's even been, in, when I say all over the news, he's even been in the mainstream media here in terms of newspapers. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you do? Well Derek Jackson, you, you, you boy, Google is your fr- Google is your friend. Trust oh me. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give you the I'll give you the short version. Um Derek Jackson is a relationship coach. A very well known relationship. Okay. That guy. You guys would use the term I think simp okay. in the sense that um he panders to the to women. Okay. Gotcha. Don't let your don't let your man do this. Don't let the old man do that. If your oh. man cheats on you, you got to leave. You got to leave him. You right. got to put him to the curb. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's basically how he's built his brand. And he's probably a millionaire plus. Um, so basically, Mr. Jackson, uh was cheating. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so everything he was uh, advocating, um, in terms of what primarily black women should be doing with their men or yeah. their potential men, he's been doing. It, wow. it, it was a car crash. And I say it was a car crash in the sense that he brought his life on, he brought his wife onto a Instagram um, live. Yeah. Um, then he done another video where he was talking about himself in the third party. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we catch Fraser doing something. It wasn't me. Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me, right? So Fraser, no. so the guy's doing a video talking about himself in the third party thing you know you're not nah. but he you know he's busted kevin samuels yeah kevin yeah kevin he's he's another relationship I wouldn't call him a relationship would I call him a relationship coach or a relationship commentator but right. he, he's he's very well known when I mean, he's you know his last I looked a couple of weeks ago he's got like two hundred and thirty six thousand plus YouTube subscribers but he's well he's a well well known guy not not so much a mainstream but certainly but what I find quite interesting about Kevin Samuels and Derek Jackson, who are both American, women tend to gravitate towards or used to gravitate yeah. towards Derek Jackson, whereas the guys tend to gravitate towards uh, Kevin Samuels. Some people say Kevin Samuels is rude. I've watched a few of his videos. Some of his videos are quite yeah. long. So you can't, you know, yeah. like two hours, two and a half hours. You get an for, for, for me, with, with Kevin Samuels, he, he just tells you straight. And women come on his show. I mean, a woman came on his show a couple of months ago. As I recall, she had three children. She was mid-30s. She wanted a guy, American lady, and she wanted a guy with earning six figures. And the catchphrase from um, that particular episode of Kevin's, Kevin Samuels was, um, he said to her, but you're average, at yeah. best, at best. Said, you're average, and he said, at best. Now, some could say, well, that's a bit harsh. But he wasn't wrong. No, he wasn't. He
0: wasn't wrong. Well, look, let me let me address the first question with Jackson. <laughs> all right. And the reason why I'm gonna say it is because while you were talking, I did a quick Google search on it. And uh-huh. that's all I needed to do because I feel like this. When you put yourself on a spotlight to be a person of authority, or you put yourself on the spotlight to be a person of know it all, you have two things. One, you can play to the crowd to get the viewers. Or two, you can take an approach like Fraser. and I normally approach is, an approach to really do something to help you, like your book, to really exactly. do something to help you. It has nothing to do with viewers. It has nothing to do with subscribers. It exactly. has something, you in partaking something into this earth that's going to help somebody. Exactly. Here's the second problem with them, Jackson, whatever this guy's name is. And even if you want to look at it, pastor, white, black, or indifferent, anybody with authority, they always, even politicians, okay, we have Matt Gates here. Anybody with authority, okay, they feel like what they're saying or what they're doing doesn't apply to them. And see, I don't prescribe to that because I feel like what I'm doing not only applies to me, but applies to everybody standing around me, everybody standing behind me on my back, my wife, my kids, everybody who supported me, my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and... Everybody who knows me, you see what I mean? Mm. So I have to, me, George Bowley, I have to stay above the fray. I have to be above reproach. Everything I say has has to be what it is because I got people standing behind me. I have people standing on my shoulders. You see what I mean? And so if it's not what I say it is, then it's just not. Not based on fact, not based on opinion, not based on anything. Why? Because I believe one thing when my son and daughter put me in this ground and put me in this earth and they will I only have one obligation to them. And that obligation is to them to say, you know, my father left me a good name. That's yep. it. That's it. Same thing. You know, me and my wife had our differences and she thought that, you know, I was stepping out. I said, go find whatever information you need to find, go hire whatever private investigator you need to hire. I gave her every cell phone, uh, Uh, I gave her every email password. I gave her all the passwords for all my businesses on my online accounts. I gave her everything. I said, you go find it. You go look for it and bring it back to me. But I need to see the proof. I need to see everything that you're looking for. You know, go. When you come back, boom. Why? Because I didn't have anything to hide. I wasn't scared of anything. There was no baby mamas lurking. There was no anything. You see what I mean? (laughs) So I had had a peace of mind. And I realized she was going through something. But why? Because I put myself in that position from the time that I was young to where I am now, you see what I'm saying? And like I said, my biggest concern is being from West Africa and having that heritage and things of that nature is, we're not concerned about money. We're not concerned about things that we have. You know, In our village, people don't say, who are you? They ask who your father is. They ask who your grandfather is because that determines who you are. You see what I mean? So my biggest thing, just to sum this up, uh, Mr. Nigel was the fact that I can't not let my kids not have respect for me. If they do that, that means I have failed completely. My mission, my mission as a father, my mission as everything, I have failed. And then that means that my life is completely useless, completely useless. That's not for Frazier. That's not for you, Mr. Nigel. That's for George Bowley, how I live my life. That, those are my parameters. So when I hear about people getting caught out there, this, that, and the third, There's a book in the, there's a book, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, ain't nothing new under the sun. What you do in the dark shall come to light. And it always comes to light when they're at their most peak, when they're at their most high, when they're at the most pinnacle of their career, it always comes to light. I don't know if you guys remember in New Jersey, we had a governor named James McGreevy, who was living a lie until it came out that he liked men as opposed to women. And he had to, and he had to, uh, uh, he had to resign his position. Okay at the pinnacle. Why is that important? And why not I mention it here on this show? Because they were talking about James McGreevy being a, a potential Democrat candidate for president. He was on that path. Yeah. So all these other guys who think that they can and can't, oh, I'm going to help you this, that and the third, you forgot one thing. There's a lot of people out there watching. How many times have we seen women go online and say, oh, wait, this person? Here's all the text messages he was sending me. I forgot the name of the the, uh, the Republican congressman. Yeah. He was pro-life but he wanted his side chick to get an abortion. So his wife didn't find out. (laughs) It doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody else who I'm legislating and why I feel like uh, abortion is this, that, and the third. But when it comes to me and mine, I can do whatever I want. And it's just, it's just a double standard that men of power or men in position of power think that they have. And it's it's shameful. And I feel like they deserve everything they get because they put themselves there. Go ahead. I
1: am gonna say it like this. I'm gonna say one word. It was something. Everything you just said, your Accountability. Accountability of your actions. Accountability of what you believe in and what you preach other people to believe in. You know right. what I mean? Like they say I saying you follow, lead by example. You know what I'm saying? If you tell somebody something, you expect them to follow what you're saying, but yet you're doing a total opposite. Yes. Who, who are you fooling? If really, who are you really fooling? You fooling yourself. You put a rod on yourself and a mirror and say, "Look, this is me. This is me. I want to be like." But reality, I'm on the other side. Like Michael J. said, The man in the mirror, you see photo images in the mirror, you see the young version, which is you, the dumb, stupid, ignorant, no one know, not know anything. <laughs> That's right. And you learn. Don't think you made when you're younger, you know. And you got a middle aged version where you're still learning, but you look more mature in That's what right. you're doing and if you approach certain things. Now, the other one, I ain't quite there yet, George. That's the older <laughs> version. <laughs> That's the I'm one my- advisor who, who everybody looks up to. Even like I will tell people like relationship wise, go back to Nigel relationship wise. Back when we were all growing up, I had examples. I have a good relationship going 30, 40 years, 50 years. And they, and they don't even find out do on they have problems. Right. But they work through the problems. Right. The first thing got one a story a guy told me, he says, you sometimes you must learn to make a mistake, to learn from your mistake, to understand what you truly have
0: mm-hmm. what you're
1: truly about to lose. That's right. From your mistakes. And the other thing, things we, we learn, cause and effect. Whatever you do, whatever action is the reaction. A reaction is caused as effect. You see what I'm saying? Whatever you actually do, there's an the effect from it. Now are you willing to take that reaction from the effect? Lose your wife, lose your family, lose everything you worked so hard to get, you know? And a lot of people don't do that. They don't think I would do that when I was younger. I was doing stupid things, all this crazy. They get girl, this girl, that girl, that girl, that I ain't had no understanding understanding a relationship. I wasn't trying to be in one. Right. But she's not the ones who are actually trying to be in one don't know how to now because they have no examples anymore nowadays. They be real about it. Young that average marriage nowadays, look it up. I looked at it it's Texas. It happens a year. Average young couple who get married, if they last over a year, they, they might make, make it. Three, three years.
0: They might make it.
1: They're three years. We didn't say 20 years. Three years. If they make it over three years, they have to make it maybe eight. You see, it's always a maybe after they pass it. Back then, it was just, oh, I got married young but they were married 30, 40 years after 15, 30 kids. Right. So it was a big difference in the era. And outside
0: kids. Don't get it twisted. Back then, they had side chicks, and they had outside babies, too. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. What, that's
1: what I'm saying? It's stuff been happening over the years. It's nothing new. It's just now coming more to light. Like y'all say, what well, stays in the dark, comes to light. This has not been changed. There's nothing changed. It's how they do it Changed. You see what I'm saying? Let me read about it. Like, a lot of people in America says, a woman, man did a woman, under 14, 15, 16 years old, but back in the back of the eighteen hundreds, they married women right. who was age 13 or 14 years old because they were sitting a different era. You saw they were mature a different, they were taught different ways. Now it's a lot different, whereas the girls are girls. You can't you can't see a, a 30-year-old man marrying a 13 year old, which is crazy. Right. You know? And I say that because things have changed so much where relationship-wise and men approach relationship, women approach relationships. Like, for example, a man feel he's doing everything he can in a relationship, where his counterpart feel like he's not doing enough. Right. He works four jobs, he never home, but she wants him home, she wants him around her, but she don't understand that bills have to be paid, this has to be done, responsibility has to be taken care of, but they want both in one, but you can't get one. My question is, Mr. Nigel, how do a man change a mindset or to understand the mindset of a woman who feels that he's not doing enough, he feels he's doing enough. How do you get around with that?
2: That conflict, yeah. Wow. And that starts- well, there's a quote in uh, the book Acts of Faith, Ivana Van Zandt. And the quote is by actor Wesley Snipes. And the quote says, the person who enters a relationship seeking to change the other person sets the scene for a great deal of conflict. Full stop. There's no point going into a, uh, a relationship trying to change the other person. You're often going to be on a hiding to nothing. Going back what George said about Derek Jackson, it doesn't really, for me, as you Americans say, this is how I roll. <laughs> how, I roll how I roll is, how I roll is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your, your field of work is. It's how you conduct your life. And yeah. it all depends on a person's levels of, Hypocrisy and their levels of integrity. And each individual has got to balance that out. Now, some people, as we know, are quite happy to be hypocrites. Right. Take yeah. that money all the way home to the bank. And unfortunately for um Derek Jackson, that's exactly what he what happened to him. Because he built his brand telling black women, basically black men generally are doo-doo. And this is how yeah. black men need to be treated by black women. Mm-hmm. That's how he built his, that's what he built his brand on. Wrote his books on, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why he got a a lot of stick (laughs) in terms of what happened um, a few few, few weeks ago. Because, as you say, and um, yeah, what is done in the dark world often comes to light. And then what the person is left or the brand or the company is left with a situation where they've got to exercise uh, damage control. The other thing I forgot to mention, yeah, I'm also a podcaster, so I've been former radio presenter the station the first legally black owned station in the uk was called trice fm and i was uh, presenting with them for 10 years ah uh, and then, excuse me so really quick
0: you said oh. legally you said legally owned what yes. does that mean that does that mean oh. like uh it was illegal or people of color couldn't purchase it How, i'm i'm just asking because in, no, the, united, cool. no, in, you, in the united states you have you, we could have bought it and you know but we wouldn't have been mainstream like, you need you know. to give
2: me give me five seconds. Yes, sir. Okay. Seconds. I'm just gonna get something to prove my point. <laughs> 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 I don't. Well, Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't realize um we were gonna be guiding in this direction. Right? Legally owned. Right? This book. It will, yes. Right. It's called London's Pirate Pioneer. Yes. Nice. I'm featured in this book three times. Now, while it's called Pirate, because in the UK we had we had um Pirate Radio. Okay. So how pirate radio came about, pirate radio, as the name suggests, is a illegal radio station, basically. Um that started off back in the oh gosh, mid-sixties uh, um, a station called Radio Caroline, and they were based off the shore of the UK. So they were broadcasting to the UK, but yes. they were in, in, in the sea, so that they, they couldn't be well, they were you prosecuted were the, in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So then you fast forward now to the mid seventies as black people or lovers of black music, we were only given like three, five five hours a week. So you had a guy called, um, oh gosh, you had um, Tony Williams. Mm -hmm. He done a reggae show um, on on a legal station, not to stress legal, on on BBC Radio London. So you had Tony Williams. You had um, David Rodigan on a Saturday on another radio station called um, Capital Radio. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And you had Greg Edwards. So Greg Edwards done The Soul, The Soul Spectrum um then you had david Rodigan done the reggae that those were both on saturday so those two shows were back to back on the same station and then on the sunday you had tony williams as far as black music was concerned that was it unless mm-hmm. it got into uh, into the mainstream charts in the yes. uk so uh in the say late 70s early 80s black people started to make their own radio stations but they were not legal okay, so you- legal
0: license then it wasn't yeah, legally
2: licensed yeah, exactly. you, you just buy i mean I, I, before i got onto choice fm i, I was on a few pirate stations I, i've been chased by the dti the details the <laughs> department of department of trading industry yeah. <laughs> because obviously you know you're For doing real. something you love the music but you're doing something obviously you're doing something it illegal? Isn't legal. they want to shut you down yeah so um so yeah so we had pirate radio stations here so that's why i use the term legally owned because um gotcha say the late 70s into the 80s, the stations that was playing black music were pirate stations. There were illegal stations. I mean, there's even a reggae track called yeah, I um, have, have uh, Pirate, right. I thought, pirate yeah. Anthem. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's how that term um, came about. But it's like anything else, Uh, when you start a company, usually a business person, man or woman, they start a company with the goal to build that company up and eventually sell it. Right. And that's exactly what happened to um, Choice FM and and other. There were certain pirate stations who actually became legal stations. Mm -hmm. They applied for a license. They won the license because at the end of the day, which wasn't that big a stretch because there weren't weren't mainstream radio stations catering for black music, people who like black music anyway. Right. So I don't know what the setup is there, but we have a very... When you apply for a licensee, you've got to... It's it's called... Promise of performance. So, in mm-hmm. that promise of performance, you've got to like when you apply for the license, you're gonna say, "Well, I'm gonna play ten percent of soca, I'm gonna play fifteen yep. percent reggae, I'm mm-hmm. gonna play fifty percent R and B, I'm gonna play as I stationed rap, etc." But you've got yeah. to, you've got to produce a promise of performance, and you are monitored on that promise of performance. So, if mm-hmm. you say you can, you can apply for your license and say you're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But if you don't do that when you get your license, they they're, they're gonna come after you. So but well, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. This right. is what you said you were gonna do. Why you're not doing it, basically? Right. Yeah. Right. But with you guys, you guys over there, you got BET, B E T, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah.
1: open. We're more open though, here because they now we see had the same problem here too. Pirate radio station. A lot of black stations mm-hmm. had a lot of radio, station, but they were unfortunately Wasn't able to get a license because the fact of the matter is a lot of the stuff was governed by our counterparts, so it wouldn't allow us to get certain licenses. We had to go undercover and get licenses and do other things. So that's why now you notice a lot of online radio stations pop up versus traditional radio station. Cause like you said, you govern the same thing. Don't differ don't have what they call a the promise to performances. What it is now you say you file and you want to say, I'm playing B. They they'll give you a lot of categories. You either play R and B, soul, rock, you more categorize as one thickest stone And you say, maybe then I may go in the country or I may go into this. But it's not like there where you have to put 10% here, 30% there. You don't do that. You say I'm gonna play R and B, uh I'm gonna play hip hop, I'm gonna play this. So you, you like to more categorized. Like you said, more stations just, simplify just RB on one side. It's all Plus, you play. On top
0: of that, you have to understand that um because of segregation here in this in this country, the the music was a lot stronger. So if you had radio, what we call the Chitlin circuit, so to speak. That was where you had radio, you had music, and you had performance. And it was all based through the deep south. Um, How do I say this? This is where you knew to go. There was a movie about this. Even, uh, you know, this is how you knew where to stay. Yes, exactly. You see what I mean? And what changed in this country was um, the white people in power started seeing how much black music, the black economy was drawn. And they figured, listen, it was just too much money in these particular economies for three or four, five or six, seven people throughout the entire country to hold that was considered, quote unquote, black radio, black music, black this, black that. So, you know, they only integrated all the pop songs and the ones that they didn't want to integrate, they took. So that's why you had... Little Richard here, but you had an artist like Little Richard on the white stations. You know, you had this yeah. artist here, but you had an artist like him on the white stations. You see what I mean? And it was just an entire, um, how do I say this? It was just an entire theft, so to speak, yeah. of, our, of our culture, our dynamic, of everything that we, we have done until they couldn't steal it anymore, until the, the lights became too bright for them to just say, oh, we're just going to take it. So we kind of had to squeeze through the door a little bit to get there. And then we had, you know, breakout artists, like for instance, if you look at Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson was the first artist, to, I think, to break on MTV with a music video. And what do you use? he used to use, Billy yeah. Jean, you know what I mean? Which took him to the moon and back, you yeah. know? So it's just, it's just interesting. Um, we're going to transition back to relationship. Let me just finish this thought. It's just interesting how. Yeah, one, um, one, more, one more
1: time you finish, Joey.
0: How we always have to fight for the little bit. Okay. Yeah. But we never get the maximum for the little bit that we put in.
1: That's true, you're right. And I was almost just add on to what George was saying, what they do back in the old days, what they do, label to do us, they will sign a black artist, right? And the black artist thing, he's getting signed, when well, he really not. He's writing music for the white counterparts. That's right. But what they do is, a matter of fact, I believe you ever seen a movie, um, Five Heartbeats, we had a part of the movie where the guy goes to the record label and says, oh, I'm a sign. But says he says, he's been white in. And it singing the exact same song he just wrote for him a few minutes ago. And in the white version of it. See, this is right. we doing. This is our game plan. You're going to take your music. You're going to scream it to the white. You're like, what the? Heck? Man, you want your rabbit mind? You was upset because that's what they were doing. They'll take your music and flip it and transition over. And you sign over the whole rights to that music to them in yeah. that contract. That's part of the contract. They will pay you, what, $15, $13, whatever, whatever it is. You play on your black stations, but at the same time, they're making twice as much money with your same music, same thing.
0: More than twice, Frej. They're owning the masters. They're owning all the rights. They're paying your pennies on the dollars. They're owning the broadcast rights. They're owning all of it. That's why most most major labels to this day don't even um, allow you to own your masters. You have to negotiate that in your contract if you're smart. Okay? But that's where a lot of people made their money because it's that catalog, that catalog. Okay, Michael Jackson understood that. That's why he bought the Beatles catalog. And exactly. whenever he got into financial trouble, he would only sell a portion of a piece of the right of the catalog to get, yeah. you see what I mean, to get the money. That Beatles catalog to this day is almost worth almost a billion plus dollars to this day, if my memory serves me that's
1: correct. That's double. That's double. Because tried to buy it back once he passed and they want to sell it back to him. He tried to buy I'm, it back. I don't blame him. <laughs>
0: I don't blame them at all. You know, hey, <laughs> step the up. Anyway, that being said, uh um,
1: anyway,
2: yeah. so really quick that actually- being said, I wanted to say to um uh, respond to Fraser because the five heartbeats is mm-hmm. my all-time favorite <laughs> film. I've had I've had that on DVD for years on years on years. And in fact, even um earlier this year, there's a five making the heart making the five heartbeats documentary. A- oh wow. And I've watched that as well. I think it's, it's available on um, Amazon Prime. But the interesting thing about the five heartbeats is um Townsend, Robert Townsend, the, the director and guy who's in it, um, yes. he wanted to base the story on the temptations. Yes. But when he yes. took the original, when he took the original script to the producers, um, they said no, you can't base it on the temptations because if we run it the script how it is, if you remember Big Red. The record yeah. company guy, they said, Well, yeah, but we could get sued because Barry Gordy might say, Well, Big Red is based on me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. Therefore that's, <laughs> yeah. therefore, that's defamation. Right. So, exactly. they actually, um, so you have to kind of t- tweak the, the script a bit. So, it, it's more, it's based on several kind of groups from that era, 60s, right. like the Dells, yeah. Temptations. But they, they could, the way he wrote the original script, they couldn't make it too specific. Right, because yeah. you know, and then going back to what you said about um, <clears throat> you know, the black guys, the black people doing the singing, but they put the white guys on the cover. But you have to yeah. remember, um, again, going back to Barry Gordy when um, Tina Marie came out, um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic voice that woman had, fantastic. But he was reluctant to um, put her on the cover because she was white, yeah, because we all know if you don't want anyone who knows any of Tina Tina Marie's work. Um, she sounds black. When I first heard Tina Marie, I just was a black woman. I didn't right. give it. I didn't give it any thought. Right. Listen to tracks like Square Biz and yeah. Just a Sucker for yeah. Your Love, those kind of. You know, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, that's a that's a white lady singing, but but Barry Barry Gordy was good at marketing, and he kind of yeah. figured out. Well, he said, well, this is aimed at the at, at the black market. If they see that tin marie is actually a white lady maybe the sales won't be as good exactly. you know so everyone's got their strategy anyway it's been an interesting conversation because considering I thought <laughs> I was gonna be coming on here to talk about relationships Yes. it's real talk you do you do what you say on the tin gentlemen. yeah real talk real yeah. talk with Jordan Frazier absolutely absolutely <laughs> um
0: I mean, you know, plus that history as well, too. I mean, we have two different cultures, definitely. seemingly from U.S. and U.K., so, you know, it's, it's definitely a good um, history lesson uh, from people that have been there and done it. Because I think if we can stitch that together and understand that, we'll, we'll learn that we're not um, as far apart as exactly. the white folks want us to think that we are. You know, the struggle here in the United States is just as real as the struggle is there in the U.K. it was, and if not more.
2: I think for you guys, to be quite honest, I mean, I follow politics and what's happening in America more than what I follow what's happening here in the UK, to be quite honest. Um, as I mentioned on my podcast, the last week I've, I had a guest on, um, Barrington Salmon. He's a journalist, veteran um, black journalist. So I had the one to interview him about um, the George Floyd trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously, you know, jury's still out. The thing for me, I suppose, in terms of cultural differences, the... Mm-hmm. You see, over here, the, the, the racists are a little bit more subtle. They, yes. From what I observe, they're, they're over where you guys are, they're, they're more in your face.
0: Right.
2: You want to be using any yes. word, you want to be doing this. But I think the bigger problem you guys have <clears throat> is guns, yeah? yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, even in terms of differences in culture, our police, as a matter of routine, do not walk around with guns. They mm-hmm. might have a junction, they might have, mm-hmm. a, I think, a taser, but yeah. they, don't have, they don't walk around with guns. Right. If if there's a, a, a an incident that requires armed officers, say the police a police officer turns up, they've got to call up and get a p- armed police unit right to go and attend to that situation. Gotcha. Like you guys have got police walking around, you know. And really and I was looking at it, I was looking at it the other day, and I was thinking, well, because since obviously George Floyd and then now you, you had um Dante Wright.
1: Right.
2: yeah, yeah. Last week. right. So the issue that comes up is uh the pension so so basically the, um, a police officer can be convicted yeah even go to even go to prison for that but th- that doesn't mean it's going to affect their pension.
0: Exactly. yeah that's in Milwaukee. Milwaukee' is the only state that has that. Every other state um you know their pension can be challenged. but here's the problem. a lot of people um walk around with that second amendment sewn to their back. And the second, million, you know, right to bear arms. Right to bear it, arms. It's yeah. just like, like I said, there's also something in the Constitution that says I have a right to liberty, freedom, and happiness. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's just, if, if you want to be a constitutionalist, we could debate this all day as to what, what would constitute uh, how we can do it to get it done. But the long and short of it is, in my opinion, people just forgot how to get along,
2: how to respect each other without and... being disagreeable. You know what I mean? You've got another problem there, though, haven't you? Because, see, when you look at it, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a keen, a keen um, researcher of history, uh-huh. especially black history, mm-hmm. especially um, black American history. So I'm mm-hmm. a big Malcolm X fan. I've got six, seven, eight books that are Malcolm X. I've got books here on Martin Luther King. So, But the bottom line is this. You guys have a history where... Black people were slaves for 400 years. Yeah. Black people only got the got the um, right to vote in 1965. Now, when you look at right. 1965 in in terms of historical timeline, that's just the other day, 1965 right. to yeah. now, right. right? And when Obama got um elected, everyone was on about, oh, it's a post-racial era. But then you see the back the backlash to Obama. Was it, it was Trump? It was no? Yeah. It was Trump? It was yeah. Trump? Yeah. That's what exactly. we call him, the
0: Orange Man. I'm sorry. Well, we you heard Orange Man. Name. Yes,
2: I've heard of the Orange Man, yes. yes. So I mean, we don't right.
0: mention his name on our show, just the Orange <laughs> Man. 45. Yeah,
2: 45. 45. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, and, you know, and for me, it's like, especially the last couple of weeks, I mean, it's always been in, in my mind. I mean, I was asked um, last week, um, have I ever been to America? Was, no, I've been Invited, I've got family over there. I've been yeah. invited numerous times. I have never been to America. I have no intentions of going to America. Because, <laughs> my, because my attitude is I could be the wrong colour in the wrong place yep. at the wrong time. Right. And that's the end of right. Nigel. Right. Right? And, um, uh, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have racism here. They're, they're just a little bit more sneaky about it here. Right. They're yeah. not in your face here, as it were. Um. We've got racism everywhere. But then... I always go back to go back to the roots. So then, if you go back to, I went to Egypt back in gosh, nineteen ninety eight, and so I done my research before I went. You know, so I didn't see any pyramids, but I, I, know, I went to the Valley of the Kings and Queens. It was a like yeah. a, a week cruise down the Nile. Mm-hmm. So every day oh, yeah. you woke up, you are in a different, a different location. Yeah. But so when I went, I uh, I started to notice things as I do, and then did want I see the carvings of black people. Um. Mm-hmm. The noses are scratched, off. right? Yeah. Or if you look at pictures, even if you look at pictures now, you look at pictures of um the pharaohs. Yeah. When the nose is blown off, right? Right. So you think, well, hold on, what, what what's going on here? So at the end of the day, yeah, it's always as a race, as we we've always been suppressed, right? So it's not, it's not, it's not. If cause you can look at it, you can look at it from an American perspective as a black person. You can look at look at it from a UK because our perspectives will be different. Because right. our history, because our histories exactly. as, as Black people are, are, is different. Your right. experience as a Black person is going to be different to mine, like growing up in the UK. Exactly. Uh, and we will have similarities and we right. will have differences, you know. Right. But the struggles, the struggle is the same. Exactly. Well, let me ask you real quick because we're running out of time. Oh, was was, 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 <laughs> me- was Megan Merkel right? Ah, uh-uh.
1: <laughs> gotcha. No, no, no. I mean, you, not gotcha. right?
2: well, you need to give me some know, context it's, when it's, you say right. Right in what sense? Because
0: yeah. she, you know, the uh, the interview with Oprah Winfrey uh, was press internationally, you know, yeah. and a lot of people feel like the only reason why Harry stood by her was one kind of that was his wife, and two, it affects his son, so to speak, in some form or fashion, because he mm-hmm. got black he got black blood in him, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but was she right? Was the was is the British uh, monarch colorblind or uh, not colorblind? oppressive.
2: I think the British monarchy were probably some in the British monarchy, some were probably concerned about the monarchy becoming a little bit too colourful. Um yeah. there's a scene from um there's a scene from a uh, Black Panther. There's a meme going around um where the um Marco B. Jordan's villain character, Killmonger, really walks when he's in candy uh, he walks up to um yeah. one of the ladies goes hi auntie and they say, yeah, that's going to be Archie in thirty years' time when he goes, <laughs> when, he, when, he goes to, when he goes to claim the throne. Hi, Auntie. Right. Um, but I was actually talking to my mum about the um, Meghan thing yesterday, funny enough. And I said to mum, at the end of the day, you've got to realise, the, yes, yeah, the, the, there's a racism issue there because because Meghan was getting the most horrendous racism in the press here. Again, they try to be subtle. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh but you have to look at history. I always look at history. And if you look at how they treated Diana, mm-hmm. a white English rose, as they would say here, yeah, a, 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 ro- a, ro- a rose of the empire. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So yes. If you look at how they treated Diana and ultimately killed her, I believe. Yeah. Um, and if no one tells me that, that was an accident, well, yeah, fair enough. But no, do your research. Um, yeah. If they treat an, a, a, a white lady like that who's outside of the system, even though she was quite in the system, because her family were, were well, you know, right. well-to-do as well. Right. Spencer's, you know, they're going to treat Diana like that. Well, why do you think they're going to treat Megan? Right. And and how Harry, uh, basically what Harry's doing, you have to remember Harry was is, is younger, and so it probably affected Diana's passing, probably affected him more. So now yeah. he's doing, he's looking after his wife, how he believes that, Prince Charles should have looked after his mom. you have to yeah, remember, right. Charles cheated on Diana. That's right. Yeah. With the woman he's married to right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You pass, go collect $200. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, now, exactly. I do
0: we want to appreciate exactly. you being on the show with us. You oh. know, we definitely want to continue the conversation and bring you back more about relationships. Like We're just sorry that the conversation went <laughs> the right.
2: Thank you for having me. In fact, it's been very refreshing, actually talking about things other than relationships because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it real i'm keeping it real because that's usually what i'm invited on to talk obviously when i talk to me about relationships or, or abusive relationships i'll actually have a have a chat with some guys about some you know, the other things because life is life is life isn't yeah. it let everybody know where they can find you on social media well you can find me at my podcasting website that's a good start it's called author com. So that's a dedicated website to my podcast. Find me on Twitter, Instagram. In fact, just go, if you Google Nigel Beckles, or if you Google author Nigel Beckles, I will be found. I'm an easy guy to find, trust me. Absolutely.
1: And one more thing, what tips you have for the relationship? What tips you have for the young people coming up in relationship-wise to get out of bad relationships? Couple of tips. To get out
2: of bad? Well, really? again, there's something, whether, the, whether you're young or whether you're middle-aged or old, old like i said when we started talking it's easy to get into relationships getting out is especially if it's an abusive relationship not that easy right it cost costed your life over here for example um on average two women a week are murdered by by a partner or ex-partner on average mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was prior those figures are prior to lockdown because wow since lockdown it's gone up so i don't know i'm not clear off the top of my head of the figures in our in America, I would imagine they're very similar and probably higher because again, you've got, the, you've got the gun issue there.
1: Right,
2: exactly. Uh, pay attention, my, my advice to, to everyone is always like, pay attention and more importantly, pay attention to your intuition. Right. Because sometimes it's not a question of, you know, someone slaps you or shouts at you or is abusive to you. Sometimes you might just get a vibe, you might just get a feeling from something's off here. And that's, I think, a mistake a lot of people make is they're looking for evidence. They're waiting for the evidence. Right. Unfortunately, the evidence might be you, you might lose an eye or a leg. Right. Or an arm. All right. right. But if you get that feeling that something feels off, then you just, you know, got to pay attention. To, your, your intuition is your friend. Basically, Absolutely. Tra- your intuition tries to protect you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, yeah. Nigel, we thank you for being on the show. I'm Thanks for having it. me. It's been fun.
0: Definitely love to have Thanks. you again.
2: Uh, anytime. Can <laughs> get ready the friend, right, George? Thank <laughs>
1: you so much.
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> funny, brother. We family now. <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah. And I must have you guys on on a, on, a, on one of my podcasts. Actually, that'd be fun too. Yes, you be honored. be honored. Be honest. Oh yeah, i that's, <laughs> that's some good. I mean, I've had. In fact, the majority of my guests are actually American. I mean, I've had I've had on um, Robert Bell. Cooling the Gang. <laughs> They've sold like seven, Whoa, 70, nice. 70 million plus albums that I've had him on as a guest. I've had Jane Elliott on. Jane Elliott is a white lady, but she's well known as an educator
1: mm-hmm. in
2: terms of um, anti-racism. I mean, Jane Elliott's been on Oprah Winfrey's show five times, at least. Right. Wow. So I've had her on as a guest. But I have all, I have a variety of guests. I had a guest yesterday. Um, He was born with cerebral palsy. Right. This
0: right.
2: well, nice. something that I don't I, I yeah. didn't really know anything about. Until yesterday, when I interviewed him, so you have all types of guests. I had a guy on, a guy called Terry Tucker. He, he's suffering with, um, sadly, with terminal cancer, and during his treatment, he's had had amputations. Right. But, but since his diagnosis, he's written a book. He's a motivational speaker. Terry, in particular, I found very, very inspiring, but very humbling at the same time, because he is even despite what he is going through, he's still trying to help other people. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, yeah yeah so it's been it's been an interesting journey the the uh the podcasting journey very very interesting journey indeed but yes gentlemen all the Thank best you, take care, right. Right. Take care brother. hey this is george hey this is phrase
0: that was real talk with george and fraser we'll see you guys tomorrow one o'clock
1: peace
2: please join me interesting conversations with interesting people Featuring interviews with award-winning authors, relationship and life coaches, therapists, and a wide variety of people with intriguing stories to share. Interesting conversations with interesting people. The podcast series hosted by author Nigel Beckles. Available on all major
0: podcast platforms now, 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 now.